This episode is about the competitive advantage that corporate culture can be for you. You'll hear the tips and tricks that Silicon Valley executives rely on as our guest gives us a glimpse into her 20 plus years of a track record in high growth companies. Her primary focus is helping leaders operationalize culture, which she's now doing as an executive coach, advisor and facilitator. My name is Christoph and with me again is Claudia Krummenl, Capgemini Invents Managing Director for People and Organization Globally. Whom do we host this time, Claudia? This time, we're talking to Melissa Daimler. Melissa created and built learning and organizational development functions for Adobe, Twitter and WeWork, and Late HR for a fast-growing venture-funded startup. She's a speaker, panelist, and contributor to broad industry publishers, including Harvard Business Review, Chief Learning Officer, and Chief Talent Development Officer Magazine. Her recent article on operationalizing culture in HBR was one of the most popular articles of 2018, viewed by over 200,000 people globally. So super excited to welcome Melissa. Hi, Melissa. Again, thank you for joining us. And uh, yeah, in your case, rising pretty early today to, to, to make this happen. Uh, welcome. Thank you. It's, it's great to be here. Um, at first, I would like to, to dig in a bit into your background, into your personal uh, background. And uh, I've seen that you started psychology, social work and organization development. What is it that inspired your decision uh, to dive into what drives people and organizations? Yeah, if I uh, go way back, uh, I, I did study psychology and social work, and uh, I had a couple of failed internships and uh, realized that through those, I was more curious and excited about focusing on the underlying issues and the greater system so that I wasn't just helping the person in front of me, but I was actually, hopefully, helping a greater problem. So I, I had worked with battered women and diabetic patients, and in, in both scenarios, you know, I kept thinking about things like, you know, how do we prevent women from getting in situations like this, or how do we help men who were fi victims of physical abuse as children? Um, how do we have people not eat processed food or, or be healthier. And so I always had these deeper questions that went beyond just kind of the symptom and just started getting very curious about those underlying issues and all of the pieces that contribute to the system that, that led these people in, in to, to, to work with me. Um, and so that really was where it started. And uh, I, I worked uh, at various training companies, um, working with, with groups of people and ended up in Silicon Valley during the, the dot-com uh, bubble and worked for, uh, I led HR for a company. And even during that couple of years, realized that, again, I, so many of the issues that were coming to me and that we were trying to address, even from an employee relation issue, had themes. There were threads. Uh, there were managers that, that needed to be coached because there were a number of people in their organization that uh, needed to be, um, that needed things consistently. Um, there were issues across the executive team that uh, everybody on that team was feeling. And so I started to, to get more curious there. And then I had, you know, jumped to Adobe, had an opportunity to actually study organizational development, which really is studying uh, the entire uh, organization and, and looking at the parts all the way from the strategy to the organizational structure to the, the people and how culture connects all of those pieces. Mm. This is a pretty interesting uh, track record because you did some really deep personal work early on, right, with the, the battered women. So how did this kind of work shape your understanding of what culture is and, and what kind of learnings have you been translating into the business world? There were so many things that I learned in the companies that I that I worked inside of it, it, Adobe, 
uh, Twitter and WeWork. Uh, I mean, at, at Adobe, I learned that culture is ongoing. It's not static. I, I've been saying recently that culture is more of a, a verb than a noun. Uh, we looked at our uh, values three times when I was there over the, the, the 11 years, just because we were evolving our business and uh, changing and growing quite a bit. Uh, at Twitter, I learned the importance and emphasized again how all of the parts have to fit together. So again, fast-growing company, how do you build some core values but continue to keep the essence of those and make sure that people understand what they are as, as you're continuing to grow as a company? So what are the behaviors? What are the organizational skills that... Uh, we need to continue to focus on so people understand what we expect of them. And then at WeWork, I learned the importance of leadership and, and modeling the values. You can have great values and, and beautiful neon lights on a wall, but if you're not practicing those on a day-to-day -day basis, then they are just that, just values on a wall. So all of those experiences led me to the definition of culture that I now say is uh, three things. It's your behaviors, practices, and processes that tie up into your values. Um, I think it's something that can be operationalized. I don't think it has to be this soft thing that so many people talk about. And I think 2020 has uh, given us an opportunity to, to practice that or not. Yeah, quite a bit. Yeah. I mean that that that's probably a good starting point um, as well. Like, what do you think, or what what did you observe? Has the pandemic kind of accelerated? Because I mean, obviously, culture change has been there before, and conversation around culture. Um, if you are a practitioner of organizational psychology or change management or wh whatever you like, when you practice here, um, it's been pretty evident. But I think the pandemic has accelerated that. Why do you think that is? And what's the topic now? Uh, I, I think we're realizing the importance of culture, that it's not just this thing, these perks that happen in the workplace. It's actually more about relationships and, and how work gets done. Um, I think a lot of companies that we're already focused on their values and integrating them into everything they were doing this year actually are doing fairly okay. Uh, they're, they're um, leveraging those, those values as they're communicating. Uh, they're leveraging them as they are making some major decisions. Um, they're leveraging them in helping people adjust to, to working at home. So I think this year has has brought us the opportunity to realize that, you know, again, culture is not ping pong tables or yoga classes. It really is about how how relationships happen and how work happens between people. And while I think culture has been important, to your point, uh, for many how many years have we been talking about <laughs> culture? Um, I, I think this year has been a, a just crises create opportunities to um, bring things forward that we've been trying to bring forward for a while. And so it's almost like we, everything that everybody's working on this year now around culture, we should have been working on. We should have been uh, looking at these things more intentionally, but this has just given us an opportunity um, to do that in a much more intentional way. Hmm. Yeah, I absolutely agree. Um, I think in the first couple of months of the um, pandemic, if there's one thing that I could see is that questions popping up that they should have asked much earlier in terms of how do I manage the relationship between a leader and an employee and or in, in teams. So how do I effectively collaborate and, and work together in, in this new in this new environment? There is 
increasing conversation around the business case, right? And and I think we we talked earlier in the preparation of the call about uh, data points that we can see. And I, I think there's increasing data points that productivity has increased uh, through the virtual environment that we're in because of less distraction, less commute times, whatever the reasons are. Um, do you agree that it's maybe a, a too early or too quick of a, a business case to just calculate with um, these numbers, not taking into consideration how effectively you manage these relationships and these ways of working and the culture or the awareness of culture and and and, and working on relationships has increased through the through the pandemic. Um, and at the same time, I, I read studies and, and we produce own studies um, at the moment around how ways of working and how productivity is increasing through the remote the remote work environment and the distance that we have. Um, if you're looking at the the culture an organization maintains, um, is is the business case maybe too quick or too 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 simple to just factor in productivity gains through less distraction because you're not in the office or through less commute time and, and whatsoever? Or are there other elements of culture we need to take into consideration? If not managed well, they will actually reduce the business case that people are trying to calculate here. I think there have already been some studies, I, I know some of my colleagues just informally have noticed that, to your point, there was this first wave of productivity earlier in the year. I think people were, instead of commuting, they were doing three more hours of emails. And they saw a, a, an uptick in what they were able to produce. So I just think everybody was heads down, focused on making sure the work continued. I think now that we're in November, we're starting to see some um, issues with that and pr particularly burnout. Uh, I know here in Silicon Valley, there's there's a lot of companies really concerned and focused on how to help their employees with burnout and even the mental health issues that that people are dealing with now. And so really encouraging employees maybe not to spend those three more hours that they gained from commute time and go be with your family or go for a walk or uh, go work out. Uh, so I, I think that um, over time, we need to get back to a place where we can have more of this integrated life and, and work even if we're in the same place uh, working and living every day. Mm. That that fits to the numbers that we have. We surveyed um, executives and employees over the summer, actually in, in August, September, and I was surprised by the um, magnitude of the risk of burnout, um, stress, um, and uncertainties. I think it was like over 50% of employees have replied that they fear um, burnout and increased stress will affect their health. And that, that's quite a large number. So um, possibly that is um, that is something that we need to take into consideration. Also part of the culture to, to build that. Um, if we come back to the definition you gave on culture, it's a, it's a, it's a really um, pointed and easy to remember definition of culture. So it sounds super easy to work on it, but how would you really work and influence a corporate culture? How would you put that to work? Yeah. Uh, yeah. The definitions are as easy. It's the, it's the, the, the hard part is the, the work and the integrating it. I, you know, I think, uh, one of the mistakes I made even way back at Adobe is thinking that this, once we've defined clearly what those values and behaviors are, it's, you know, we just share it and, and it'll be good. We'll put it in our interview process and we'll make sure we incorporate it into our feedback and all of the, the people processes, um, which we did. It just, it, it takes longer than, than what we think. Um, I had a CEO a couple months ago, and we had just gone through the exercise of uh, defining his values and behaviors uh, for for his company. 
And it was two weeks later and he said, you know, I, I, I'm, I am concerned, you know, <laughs> there, I don't see as much change as I thought I would. And, and so we had this whole conversation about how, uh, this takes time. This is considered a, a huge change and it's not what I would consider. We talked so much about culture and change transformation it's more of a the kind of change that happens over time. So again, you're you're continuing to talk about how are these behaviors showing up? Are these useful? Are these helping us with our our decisions? Um, and and maybe some of them aren't. You know, in his case, we we actually tweaked and and iterated on a couple of behaviors in the first couple of months just because people weren't people were resonating more with, with some other behaviors or they reworded it. So I just think, um, it, it takes time to, to integrate values and behaviors through an organization. And it's important that you review those on, on a consistent basis, maybe not as much as, as strategy. And I know Christoph, we had talked about that. Uh, it's not like a quarterly review, I would say, Maybe annually, um, if you're a fast-growing company, or if there's some major changes that you've done as a business, if there's a, a, a key uh, pivot that that you've done, that could be another time. But um, I think really to to answer your question, it 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 takes time to really not just have these this list of things, um, but embedding them, even rewarding people, uh, making sure that people are promoted based on how they're working. Uh, I, I really see uh, culture as a, a playbook for how we work. And it starts to build trust across the organization when people can look across and see, oh, you know, that person got promoted. And I actually see why, because she totally exemplifies the values and behaviors that we talk about. Versus over here at another company, um, the cousin of the CEO got promoted who has two years of experience and is now the VP and, and is not a team player and doesn't exemplify any of the values that the company talks about. So I just think there's such an opportunity to continue to look at how the culture is showing up in your processes and what are the stories that are starting to be created as well? Like how, those are just so powerful um, examples of how um, you know the, these behaviors were done on a team and, and what they were able to accomplish. Um, so I could go on, but those are I, I <laughs> how hard it is. It's, it's an ongoing focus. Mm. Based on your experience, do you have like a time? Because we talk about it's it takes time, right? Is there is there a pattern you see in terms of how much time is needed, or is there a recommendation you give um, when when talking about that? Um, you know, I I think the first I always say that um, I think it's important when you kind of identify your values and behaviors that you don't just roll those out in and of themselves. Like it's not just the list to share, you share them in context with a process or an example of what of what that looks like day to day. So oftentimes I'll work with companies and you know when I when I did this at um, Twitter and Adobe in particular, we we had values and behaviors, but then we embedded them into the interview questions. And gave that as an example. So if you're interviewing anybody for this organization, behavioral interviewing isn't just saying, asking, tell me about a time. It's incorporating our values and behaviors to identify, you know, if that person can complement or, or add to our culture in a, in a meaningful way. So that's always a much more meaningful um, Uh, way to roll out a values and behaviors um, initiative if you can back it with an initial process and, and give examples. Um, I think the first six months are, are crucial, you know, just to continue to, to work on how to embed those into the different processes. But I would say uh, companies and, and leaders start to, to see a shift and um, really start to see how this is 
not just another HR initiative, but it's actually helping our business within a year. Because within over the course of a year, you've had an opportunity to maybe embedded into your feedback process to evaluate people on the values, how much they're they're showing up through those values and behaviors. You've had a chance even uh, hopefully to translate those into your learning experiences. I'm hugely passionate about that. You know, so if you have a value or behavior around experimentation, but then you just send your employees to a uh, off-the-shelf leadership training that doesn't even talk about experimentation and then expect them to come back and in their their jobs and experiment that just didn't do much versus if we're really talking about experimentation, let's then teach people the skills to experiment. You know, is it design thinking that we should be teaching? Is it the ability to ask questions differently? Is it being okay with failed uh, initiatives? Because that's where we learn a lot and we can experiment more. So I just think, you know, when we talk about the system and, and the relationship between all the parts, I often see the training or the learning piece missing, you know, from mapping that back into what we said about our values and behaviors. Hmm. There are a lot of... Powerful messages in there. I, let's try to unpack it a little bit. So I think I'm going to start from the end because I, I I reacted and, and related very much to you talking about experimentation and design thinking. So um, at Capgemini, we're, we're really passionate about reinventing how you do these kind of programs, design-led or human-centered, uh, whatever you may call that. And I, I find that it's for a lot of executives not easy to relate to this experimentation in a culture change program. Can you talk a bit more about how you do that, how you encourage uh, the leaders to take that route and maybe what kind of tips you can give our listeners to try that? I, I think often the idea of experimentation fails because employees have had an experience of that before where it wasn't, it was, it was said that it would be rewarded, but it wasn't, or it took away from actually completing some of the objectives that they had set out to do. So, uh, that it's an example of a company saying one thing, but then rewarding another. I, I think the companies that that do this well around experimentation are ones that that have examples and and can reward, um, you know what what that looks like. And I, I'll give you a, a huge example just from Adobe. I mean, I think we um, when I was there, we I think up until about two thousand eight, we were doing very well. I mean, we had this this license software model and um, doing, you know, increasing our revenue year over year. And then we experienced the recession. So we were, while that didn't uh, hit us too hard, I think we were trying to look at different business models. And innovation was was definitely something that, um, you know, Adobe has valued from from the very beginning. And Shantanu Narayan, the CEO, who's still the CEO now, was really thinking that we needed to go in a completely different direction into more of cloud services. He thought that that was the future of the business. Um, this was a huge shift because this meant that we weren't going to get revenue in the same way that we were currently getting revenue. It was more of a longer term play, as you know. Um, and he not only got pushback from customers and investors, but internally pushback from his leaders. And so there were just a lot of conversations around, you know, we're supposed to be this innovative organization. And sometimes that means stepping away from even the successful parts of our business, because we know that there's an opportunity to, to be even bigger and more successful. Um, and so we did it, it shifted and actually the revenue dropped. Um, we, we had some, some, I think 
a couple of years where where the revenue was was going down. And so it was just a huge risk. But um, Adobe is doing very well. Um, and I think the the revenue, uh, I think I was just looking at a um, report the other day that it, it, the subscription revenue uh, was four times over um, the, the over a, a four year period than than what we had thought it was going to be. And so I, that that is such a, a great example to me again of you can be say you're innovative and you can experiment here and there, um, but if there's no real kind of uh, examples from the top of of what that can look like, it's it's harder to imagine that that you can do it within your own function or team. Right. So it, it requires a lot of um, courage and boldness from top management to go first. And, um, and, and that is probably hard because you make yourself vulnerable, right? So you have to really be passionate and convinced about a direction that requires, um, yeah, true leadership, I guess. Um, are there any other skills or uh, competencies where you say this is something that leaders need to drive successful culture change? I mean, I can talk a little bit about uh, you know, some of the things I've seen just this year. Uh, I, um, I, I think I've been having a lot of conversations just about even some of the shifts I'm seeing, just subtle shifts around um, skills that uh, people need to have now in a, in a remote world. And some of the, the best CEOs just in handling uh, the crises, multiple crises this year, um, were the ones who didn't necessarily have the answers. Um, they actually asked really good questions and engaged their employees. So I think good culture change is a co-creation. It's not a, let's just figure out the values and behaviors at a leadership meeting or retreat and then hand them on down. Um, you know, the, the, you can do that, um, but it, there has to be a lot of context I think the the best you know kind of culture change and 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 uh, design that that I encourage is this co-creation between the leadership and the employees. So a core group of of employees providing feedback, stories, examples, ideas, even aspirations. I don't think uh, the behaviors necessarily have to be current state. I think some of them should be how and where we want to go. Um, but you know, some of the skills to answer your question, I would say, um, that I've been working a lot with CEOs this past year, are just, you know, kind of shifting from just communicating to actually having that empathy. You know, we're hearing a lot more about empathy this year and, um, really understanding where people are coming from, um, trying to be in in their place, and being okay with just um, having a conversation with an employee about how they're doing, um, and checking in with them instead of always feeling like you have to talk about uh, going full circle to where we started, productivity and objectives and updates and um, all of those pieces that are clearly important to the business. But from a cultural standpoint, I think the employees that are feeling the most supported also feel seen and heard. Um, and that's because I think a lot of um, leaders and managers are practicing those, you know, that, that empathy in a way that I have not seen before. Um, I also think a, a shift this year, um, which I have talked about for years again, but I think this year has forced us to, to do this in a different way, is this idea of, of going from time management to, to what I'm calling context management. So really kind of designing your days much more intentionally. So I noticed in the beginning of the year, we did what we did in the learning field years ago, where we kind of plopped in-person training into online thinking, oh, that's going to be e-learning. That's virtual training. It's going to be great. It's all through your computer now. And we realized that that just isn't how people learn. You have to redesign um, how how people can learn. And we created these blended experiences that 
um, are now much more effective. I think the same thing is happening with our work. You can't just take a full day of what was back-to-back meetings for for many of us uh, in an organization where you were going to the office every day and now expect that to be moved into Zoom. And so, you know, thinking about different contexts and, and ways of working, I think is really important. So does everybody have to be part of this meeting? Um, you know, can am I giving enough time for my team to have uh, individual thinking time to, to do their work? Um, when are times that we have to be together as a team for, for coordination or collaboration? Um, so I just think designing and, and really helping people understand kind of how to work effectively and how to, um, you know, look at all the different contexts in which they're working is, is really important. I like that you call it context related or context management, because um, probably the mention that is un or that was underestimated uh, before the pandemic is the personal context that people are actually sitting in. So I noticed as well, more intentionally planning what is going on around me, right? So do I have kids that I need to take to school or that I, that I have to homeschool? Um, or is my partner working? What are the best times? Do I, um, do I have a stable place to work at home? Or is that the kitchen where people walk in and out and stuff like that? So really the context of where you work, how you work, I think that's a, that's a great term. Um, There's, there's two, two thoughts that I maybe want to come back to uh, or, or comment and see whether you, you, you think the same. I think you mentioned um, in between kind of the people that you work with or you speak to are the CEOs, so really the top management. And I'm honestly convinced that culture change um, is a CXO topic from the business side, if not even to say a CEO topic. Um, HR is an enabler or a really crucial uh, element to execute it and, and operationalize it into the core processes. But I do think it needs to really start with the business and, and, and the top. What do you, what's your opinion on that? I completely agree. <laughs> I, um, <laughs> with, with what, With one caveat, I, I don't, I am not a big fan of culture officers or cult chief culture. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Yeah. Um, I do it think It sounds like you can delegate it and, and you can't. That's the thing. I, yeah. I don't think you yeah. can delegate it to HR or you can, cannot delegate it to a culture officer. Right. I, I do think it's everybody's uh, focus though. I mean, I think to your point, if the leadership is not, on board, then we shouldn't even do this. Um, if, if, if they just want to check a, a box and say, we did our values. Um, I, I've actually not worked with some companies when I realized that that's just kind of an exercise they want to do and they want to put it on their website and they're not interested in embedding it into how they work. Uh, so I think it's really uh, the big one of the big learnings that I had this year and over the last couple of years in just working with a number of different companies is spending a lot more upfront time with that leadership team to make sure they understand, you know, context again, um, that this isn't, you know, this isn't a, a values exercise that maybe you've even done before. It's it's much deeper than that. And you have a huge role to play not just in this exercise itself, but to reinforce and help me embed this into all of your, your processes. So I, I completely agree. Mm. So it's probably a bit boring, but I, I have to agree, right? So it has to start from the top, but it's everybody's job. You said it's co-creation. Um, is, is that's what's effective. Do you have good examples of how Culture change can be co-created with employees or, or, or maybe some ideas um, to give to our listeners? Yeah, I mean, I, uh, I mean, a lot of the, the work that we did, that I did internally, I'm, I'm, I'm leveraging now. I, I think it's important to, uh, before diving in to kind of thinking about our values, your values and behaviors, 
you know, where are we now? You know, what, what are, what are some things that when you think about the work, what, what are things that are going well? When you're having a good day, what is happening? You know, one of, one of the things that I emphasize with behaviors is that it's really important that they're observable and, and clear. They're not uh, what my data team at Twitter used to call double barreled. They're, they're single barreled. So it's not, you know, we communicate clearly and concisely and effectively and efficiently. Well, which is it? Because when I'm evaluating you on that, I need to be really clear about, am I evaluating you on being clear or, or effective or concise or so link the language matters in, in these behaviors. Um, and so I, I think it's important to um, think about that and that it's global. You know, we don't have idioms in there. I was working with a company and, you know, they said, well, we don't sweat the small stuff. And, and somebody in Tokyo was like, I, I don't know <laughs> what that means. So we need to put that in language that is, is something that everybody can understand. Um, but, I, but I think it's good, again, before diving in, just to kind of look at what is working about our organization. What are all the different pieces? You know, let's look at your engagement survey. Let's look at, you know, when we used to go into an office, like what I, I would learn a lot by walking into to an organization and just hearing what people were saying in the, in the hallways. So you have to do that a little differently now. But um, people will tell you how they're, they're thinking about uh, the organization. And more importantly, as we talked about before, what they would like it to be. So usually employees know where the gaps are and what it, what it could look like and, and what would be really inspiring to them if um, you know, we had these set of behaviors. So I think starting from a kind of what so, and then even talking about what could be is just a great set of conversations to have with employees. And then having an initial initial conversation with the, the leadership team as well, and really having them roll up their sleeves and, and dig into, you know, what could it look like for us to have a playbook for how we work? How can this help us do our jobs better? Um, and really have that be the context versus, again, this is not just another HR exercise, creating a list of things. Um, ideally, you know, the, the ideal outcome is that this helps us all be better in our jobs. A big fear that I can see when you try to leverage bottom-up and co-creation initiatives is possibly that you get too many different opinions. How are you going to drill that down? How are you going to, how are you able to control it? Is that something that you face as well? And, and what do you say to your clients then? Yeah. I mean, I, I, this goes back to decision-making and being clear about what decisions we're making and who is ultimately the decision maker, you know, the final, final decision, uh, is stopped at, you know, what person. So I think it's important before launching to say, you're going to get, we're going to get a lot of input. Um, we're going to curate this. We're going to create some themes. Some of them are going to rise to the top and, and some of them it's good for us to have just as information. Um, but we, I think the hardest part, frankly, is, getting them down to a manageable list. Um, I think, you know, one of the companies that I've been inspired by is Netflix. You know, when they did the the culture deck, uh, I think it was 2009. So um, over 10 years ago now, but I loved how they were so clear and transparent about their values and then behaviors. But I also... I think that it was too many. It was, I think it was 36 behaviors. And I, I, I've talked to uh, a lot of people who work there and like, we couldn't remember them all the time. And it was hard to embed all of them into to some of our processes. So I think brevity is important here. And, you know, I used to say 20 is a good number. And now I now think if you have kind of 10 um, behaviors that represent how you work, um, that that's a that's a good number. And so, you know, I think you just have to be really clear up front with people to say, 
um, we're going to have some really good conversations about our culture and, and how we can work together. And not all of your input will be used for the final outcome. But um, I, I think people really appreciate that clarity on how the decision is going to be made and, and what the what the result is going to be and, and their role in it. Um, so we've talked a lot about context, but you've also talked uh, about an experience you had where, where someone approached you like two weeks after starting the culture change program and, and asked about uh, seeing progress and kind of got nervous about progress, if I can understand that correctly. So me personally, I, I, I have a background in computer science and I've joined the field of, let's say, people in, or, people in organizations um, as a, from, from a sidetrack. So during, given my background, I'm driven to put numbers to a lot of things. Um, from your experience, like there are several philosophies or methods to make change and culture change measurable, but, but what's your experience how to do that? Um, are existing tools like maturity levels, readiness levels, these kind of things still applicable? Or would you recommend another approach to, to do this? I think people are too vague in, in measuring uh, specifically culture. Because first of all, a lot of times people aren't even defining what culture is in an organization. Um, I, I think to really measure if it's may, being successful, there are, are a few things. I mean, your engagement survey is always a good one to, to, to look at. I think a lot of companies have shifted from this annual focus, just like we have with feedback, to more of a, a pulse on a regular basis. So quarterly kind of sending out not not a 50 100 question survey but just a, a check-in on you know some of those core questions around um, the behaviors and specifically you know even on things around feedback and um, performance instead of just having a general question on, you know, does this employee exemplify the values of this organization? That is just a throwaway question to me. Um, you know, you need to list out the specific behaviors that you've declared are, are part of your, your playbook for the organization that you, you know, those are your culture. And, and then have people evaluate to whatever extent they are seeing these behaviors being exemplified. We did this a little bit at Twitter where we created a, um, it was actually a, a 360 tool that embedded our, our behaviors. And it was a tool that wasn't HR driven. It was based on when the employee and manager thought it was important to get some feedback. So it could be after a major project. It could be after the first 90 days of, of the person's uh, start with the company. Uh, and so they would send out this, uh, we called it more of a developmental um, tool, but it had all of our behaviors listed in there. And it was a frequency uh, um, scale. So we, people evaluated it based on how, how frequently did they see me um, uh, uh, contribute to the development of others was one. And it was so interesting. I mean, the frequency piece, I think, is a really interesting way to measure because it takes out that sting of, am I good or not good? And more, it's more focused around, huh, I actually thought I was doing that. I, I, I scored lower on, on this one, one, one quarter. And I was really surprised because I was so focused on development. But but that doesn't matter. My employees didn't have that same experience. They, they wanted me to, to do it more frequently than I was doing it. Um, and so it was such a really good input for me to, to understand, you know, the, the classic kind of intent versus impact piece. Um, so I just, I, I think being more specific on, you know, what those behaviors are 
embedded into your different uh, tools is is when you can start to see uh, some shifts on you know in your culture. Yeah, I like the the idea of of looking at frequency instead of like the the level of how well do you embody this behavior because that, as you said, has a kind of sting to those people that may just have a have a struggle of some kind to to work on this behavior for whatever reason. So uh, I like the idea of talking about frequency and and you touched another idea. Um, what I understood is that. What you did is you did the, the development assessment, so to speak, on occasion. So after a bigger project or, or some, some other big event that maybe raises a need to look at the development or the opportunity to look at development. Um, is that an approach that you recommend, especially during like a, uh, these virtual work phase that we're having right now? Or would you rather recommend to, to kind of work with a frequent schedule to look at how we embody values given that we don't see each other in the office at the coffee, uh, coffee machine etc um i think uh that there's you know i'll give you a, a bad answer of, of it depends but i i do think in our, our world our remote world now people are craving more anchors of of uh, consistent, um, uh, ways of working. So, you know, our, our intent was to get away from, uh, you know, anything HR driven and have it be more about, um, the, the employee working with their manager from a developmental standpoint. But I think in terms of, uh, you know, ongoing feedback, I, I do think, more of a maybe not quarterly but but some kind of regular cadence is is useful for people but I, but i think you know and a lot of companies have been doing i think adobe kind of started that years ago when when they realized these annual reviews were just um taking up so much time i think the number as i recall was over 20,000 hours of of work a year by employees to kind of put together uh a performance review. Um, so I think it, it needs to be really clear on what people are being evaluated on, you know, what kind of feedback we're wanting to get. And, you know, again, how do you take the, the sting or the fear out of, out of that process? Um, and if people are just are really already clear about their behaviors and, what it is that's expected of them, they want to get that feedback. They want to become better. So it's an interesting question, Christoph. I do think during this remote uh, time, there there may be, I think it might be better to have more of a consistent um, cadence of, of things like feedback. Right. And I, and, I, and I like that you've mentioned that people want feedback because I, I do see this really often that people really enjoy and are thankful for very good feedback, like founded feedback in, in observations uh, and then it, it like advice. Um, but I also see people, um, especially those that are growing into management positions, um, that may struggle to, to give good feedback or maybe it's just because they feel like they're criticizing people. And, and I think this is kind of like enhanced when we don't do this in, in uh, like face-to-face -face situations, but, but remotely. Would you, would you say this is accurate or would you say uh, that this makes it easier? Or, or how would you recommend someone who's growing into this give feedback virtually? Uh, I, I think feedback is hard <laughs> virtually or, or in person. Um, I, I do think that, you know, we had also talked a little bit about the, the role of, of manager. I think that has become even more important this year uh, because they, they have become more of a, a coach and a counselor and uh, expected to do some of these skills that we talked about before, you know, empathy and, and have emotional agility. And, um, but I think, you know, one of the things that we talked about, uh, when I ran management programs uh, internally is 
the the role of a manager is so important and uh, continuing to make sure that they set expectations on not just performance and results, but how to work. So again, embedding kind of those those behaviors, uh, I, I think is is so important. Um, so we just found that when they were clear up front and and continued to meet with their employees on a regular basis, the feedback just became so much easier. It was more like a conversation. The ones that weren't being clear up front and meeting on a regular basis, it was just so much harder. Um, you know, I, I think this year also has has presented us with the uh, again something that we should have been doing all along, but just that clarity piece, you know, when you're working at home and you're, you're not seeing anybody around you, you need to be crystal clear about what your role is, what the objectives are that we're focused on as a team, how that rolls up to the overall strategy. So, you know, this, the feedback I think goes into two parts. It's, it's the, the, what you're doing, right. And then it's also how you're doing it. Um, so I, I think that manager relationship is critical. A lot of the the managers I've been working with this year, they have said, you know, I'm I'm actually meeting more one-on-one with my employees because I'm realizing that, you know, again, it's not just about the work. I'm I'm also just checking in with them to see how they're doing. And I've just noticed that I need to do that more frequently. And so that just starts to build this trust um, that you know, it's, it's created. And, uh, when there is feedback to be given, or when you do have to have those hard conversations, it's, it's, I think much easier for both the manager and the employee. So this, I think this the, kind of, yeah, go ahead. Yeah. I think there's a really important point you make around trust. Um, do you observe any, any patterns, whether there are, organizations, types of organizations or types of leaders that have are better or less good in trusting employees? Because I, I just, uh, the reason why I'm asking, I just heard an anecdote yesterday about new mechanisms in this new normal to track what employees are doing and how they're collaborating. And from They're needing to keep their camera on. I think I read in a German newspaper they're they're hiring private eyes to to spy or to to follow employees and whatnot. So there's like all sorts of different initiatives that are taken to track what employees are doing, um, and and that is so bad for the culture and for the relationships that you're creating. And so I'm wondering whether there are there are reasons or patterns that we can observe to do that or not to do that. I think that's horrible. I think I, I read that as well. And I think that's frankly causing some of the burnout. I think people are spending so much time trying to make sure that their colleagues and their manager know that they are working <laughs> instead of just working, you know, and feeling the the freedom and, and, uh, you know, the, the inspiration to do the kind of good work that they, they used to do. Um, I, I, I think this is, again, where it's just really important to be clear about the outcomes. You know, what, what are we driving toward? I don't care kind of when you work or, or, you know, how you're working on that. Like if you need to have a thought partner, or if you need to pull in three people, that's okay. But if, you know, to your point, Claudia, if you have to, to go drop your, your child off somewhere at two in the afternoon and you have to get back on at nine at night, that should be okay. If that's, if that's your, your working schedule. So I, I think, um, I was just working with the team yesterday on their, their roadmap for, for next year. And it's hard, you know, it's hard to do, virtually. But I think they've realized that we just, we have to get really clear about who's doing what, where are the handoffs? Um, when are we going to need to meet? Uh, when can we, in a, in, in a synchronous way, work together so that maybe we don't have a meeting, but we can, we can all be working on the same project. So if we have to slack somebody or ask a question, we know that they're available. So those are the kinds of conversations that are starting to happen with with teams that and companies that 
just trust the work is going to get done. I think the monitoring is um, insulting. I, I just, to your point, I think that that just, that's an underlying issue of, of lack of trust. Mm. Why do you think is that? Because that's one thing that is so fascinating to me, because um, we've talked about, you know, this outcome-based leadership for a while already, but it seems to be really hard for organizations to do that. Um, you know, I don't, I don't think organizations uh, are as clear about what it is they're, they're working on. I mean, I don't, I don't think we spend enough time uh, on strategy, you know, Peter Drucker, you know, the father of, of, of management. Um, I know you guys both know who he is. He had this famous quote of, um, culture eats strategy for breakfast. And, you know, I always say that they should eat breakfast together. I I think they are both very important because, um, you know, we're just looking at how we work with each other. But, um, I was working with an executive team a couple of weeks ago, we were starting to look at more of their, they were, they were iterating on their values and behaviors. And they realized in that process, like, oh my, we're not as clear about our strategy as we thought. Sales and engineering were completely misaligned. Um, and so I think you're, you should just always be looking at, you know, what is our strategy? Many businesses this year had to pivot, you know, you know based on um, what was uh, coming at us. And so as they were pivoting, I think the good leaders were bringing everybody along. They were sharing, you know, gosh, we can't keep doing what we're doing. We have to shift. We're not really clear about what we're shifting toward or how we're going to shift, but here's what we're thinking. Here are some of the questions we have. If you have any input on that, great. And so anytime you make a shift to strategy or anytime you make a major acquisition or other priorities come in, you have to have those kind of conversations around what comes off. Like, what are we not going to do? Um, and so, you know, I, I think this, this ongoing conversation about both the what and the how is, is really important to, to build trust when people know kind of what they're supposed to be working on and how they're being evaluated or, or what's important in how they're working, then they're free to do their work. But when those, those core pieces are not addressed, then, you know, everybody's just, you know, kind of grasping for different ways to make sure whatever they think, whatever work they think needs to get done, gets done. Mm. So actually, everybody who's uh, starting to control or to doubt their employees' work and what they do, they should revisit their strategy and, and rethink of are we clear enough of what we're supposed to do or want to do and want to achieve, right? Hmm. So um, right now, I think we can we can look at wrapping this up, and we've been talking about a bit of success, as you mentioned before. Um, but I know, or we all know that we also learn from failure. So what I'd love is if if you could share like a fuck up that you had in your career of some kind, where you said this was a big learning for me uh, that you would be willing to share with us. Yeah, it's funny. We were talking about this before. I was trying to figure out which of the hundreds <laughs> I was going to share. I mean, I, there are some bigger ones. There's some smaller ones. I, I would say one of the ones is one we've already talked about. I mean, I, I think I assumed that culture was just this thing that you revisit maybe, you know, once every 20 years uh, for, you know, companies that have been around for a while. Um, it wasn't this ongoing thing, nor did it take a lot of uh, um, ongoing maintenance, if you will. And so when we did this at Adobe, I didn't embed, I didn't initially think about it as this ongoing um, change initiative. And there there were some, um, lots of conversations I had to have w- with leaders over the course of, of that year to make sure that um, we understood that this wasn't just a, a one-off initiative. So I think that was a huge, I don't know if, it, I mean, I, I don't know if it was a fuck up as much as it was um, just a huge learning in um, 
what what culture really is and how to embed it in a way that helps a company uh, with their day-to-day work. I can tell you, you know, from a management perspective, when I first started managing, um, you know, I, I used to think that uh, I was really important if I was in meetings all day long and I could never get my work done um, and I didn't delegate a lot. So I always give advice to, to new managers that, you know, you need to have space in your days to do your own thinking and really be clear about, um, you know, what you need to delegate. And going back to our conversation about trust, trusting your employees to uh, achieve the, the outcomes that you're setting out together to achieve. So delegation is just a huge skill that, that I emphasize um, with managers, just based on me not doing that in the beginning. This is another great one because, um, yeah, as, as we touched before, empathy is, is really important. So, um, yeah, thank you for that. Um, before we, we do the last closing, uh, I'd like to do a, a quick which would you rather. Stuff, you and I? Sorry? Uh, shouldn't we give one too or we'll fuck up? Yeah, you go ahead. <laughs> Sorry. You, you got it? Right. Out of it? All right. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I think, I think it's so unfair. I just had to ask Melissa to do it. You're, right. You're absolutely right. Thank you for being so sensitive. <laughs> yeah. No, I think we, we, we related through this question before already because I think um, that you probably constantly have fuck ups in that sense. And I think it's just the nature of learning. Um, um, I was talking in the preparation with Christoph about a actually more like. Um, uh, country culture of fuck up because I, I used to work for Daimler and I, I was sent to Japan uh, to do change management there and I was I was spinning my trying to spin my head around um, how to do change management in Japan and and how to how to, how to do that um, in a structured way and so on and and I completely um, overlooked the fact. Um, that uh, when I came there, um, I was uh, in an organization where I had mostly male peers that were older than me, more senior. Um, and um, I had overthought that in a rational way and completely overlooked the emotional part of me being there, part of their leadership team, of what kind of culture shock that would be. Um, and so the first workshop that I had to do was then even more insensitive coming from my German efficiency and discipline. So we scheduled, I think, I don't know, it was three hours or so. Um, and I just so not respected the the Japanese customs of, you know, feeding the participants of sticking to time and finishing it on time because they need to go, uh, they need to commute back home, which is a long commute and so on. So uh, pretty much screwed up the first workshop. And it was a huge offense to the Japanese team because I was young, female, foreigner. And then on top of it, didn't, didn't, didn't look at the customs of the country. So that was a good learning to... Yeah. <laughs> yeah. To be disciplined. And I think it's a, to the, to your point earlier, um, Melissa, about the frequency, how often do you display certain behaviors? It's kind mm -hmm. of a constant reminder to, to think about the context you're in. Mm -hmm. That's a good one. Well, thank you for that, Claudia. And uh, you are then... welcome. <laughs> <laughs> All right, then uh, let's do a quick which would you rather, Melissa. Is that all right? Oh, my gosh, yes. <laughs> Don't be afraid. It's, it's fun. Um, first one, uh, orange juice or coffee? Oh, coffee. <laughs> okay. Uh, summer or, or winter? Oh, that's hard. Uh, summer. Although all I right. Like Sorry? I like skiing but I love the warm weather. <laughs> okay. Are you an, an early bird or rather a night owl? Early bird. Books or movies? Oof, movies. Okay. And then the last one, uh, walk on the beach or, or hike in the mountains? Oh, hike in the mountains. All right, where you go? What? Uh, where do you go? Where do I go? Um, we go to Park City, Utah quite a bit. Uh, All right. 
it's beautiful there. We do a lot of skiing and, and hiking there. But we live in Northern California, so there are hundreds of hikes here too that I really enjoy. Okay. And the last one, if our listeners take one learning to their daily routines, what should that be? Uh, I think it's to remember that, you know, regardless of the models and frameworks and, and uh, theories out there, it's to remember that change starts with us as leaders and that it's just as important to be focused on how we're working as, as what we're working on. Well, thank you for that, Melissa. It's been a great pleasure to have you. And it's a fun conversation with a lot of laughing, I think. <laughs> This was I, I, there are very few people who I talked to before coffee. So thank you for making <laughs> <laughs> We very uh, much appreciate it. it. Yeah, and I hope you could appreciate it, uh, enjoyed a bit too. Yeah, it was, it was, I enjoyed it quite a bit. All right, thank you. I hope you enjoyed the conversation as much as we did. This has most certainly been one of the most exciting talks we had, and we hope you can take away some learnings to operationalize culture in your organization. Please connect to Claudia and myself on LinkedIn if you have any question or look for more information. Also, follow Capgemini Invent on LinkedIn and Twitter. You'll find the links to our profiles in the description. And please subscribe to the Capgemini podcast on whatever platform you listen to us now. Thanks for tuning in. This is Designing Momentum, a podcast from Capgemini. Designing Momentum is a show about what it takes to build and maintain momentum in business. When the odds are against you, how do you forge your own path? Original ideas very rarely come from looking in the same place as you always look. So in this show, we'll be turning the spotlight in a different direction that you wouldn't necessarily think to look. Hosted by me, Frank Wammers, and with the help of Rachel Burford, International Women's Rugby World Cup winner, and experts in emerging technology and sport, we'll be exploring why what goes on in the boardroom isn't so different to what happens on the pitch. Make sure you subscribe now in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you find your podcasts.